0: Love you. I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. Uh, hi, I'm Ken. I'm an alcoholic <laughs> little energy here that's good. Uh, You know, I have a connection with the other dimension, so you guys can just all relax. The Timberwolves beat the Lakers by 12 points tonight. (laughs) So it's back to L.A., yeah. (laughs) I'm really glad to be here, and I want to thank Patty and all the folks connected with it for, for inviting us to come on out here. It's been a really great time for me, and I got James, who's probably the best host you could ever get. You know, he and his wife, Christine, and their kids, and I hope he kept bringing his kids to the convention because we need all the adult leadership we can get. (laughs) And and he's just been a terrific, terrific host, and I really appreciate it. And Patty for the baskets in the room, and uh, I love fruit baskets, but the thing I like the most is grapes. And the reason I like grapes is because it's kind of like days. You get an orange that's bad or an apple that's bad. It's a while before you get back to having another apple or an orange. But you eat one bad grape, you're ready for another one, you know, like I guess. <laughs> so, so I, I, I really like the idea that we had some grapes. I, uh, I heard them announce about the Gopher State taping thing, and, you know, this is a very interesting uh, phenomena in AA. We opened a new ballpark in uh, San Diego, Petco Park, and the company I'm with has season tickets and they invited me to go to opening night. So I went on down there with the gang and there's a couple of them who know I'm in AA, but we've grown so big so fast that most of the big shots uh, don't know that I'm in AA. So the, we were playing the San Francisco Giants, and uh, the Padres were. And uh, in the San Francisco his name is Tatata. And so when he came up to bat, I was going like, he "Is Tony Tatata, you know? <laughs> and, and, and Tony better not get a hit, you know what I mean? And, and, and I was just having a good old time, and this guy in front of me turns around and says, You're Ken D. And and I said, "How do you know that?" And he said, "I recognize you from your tapes." <laughs> so, so the guy to my right, who's a new CFO that we hired, been with the company about four months. He looks at me and he says, "Ken," he says, "I heard that you were like kind of wild back in the day." He said, can I ask your personal question? And I said, sure. He said, did you do porno f- films? <laughs> John Holmes, eat your heart out, wherever you are. (laughs) So, in typical alcoholic fashion, I said, you know, Dan, I really don't want to get into that right now. (laughs) So, this is good. I mean, I... And this is, you know, to hear people laugh is one of the reasons I love to come to these things, because I've made a study of laughter, and, I, and you know, I've said this more than once, is that you cannot laugh and think at the same time. <laughs> so, so every time you're laughing, you're getting a break from thinking, you know? <laughs> and if you're in one of these chairs, you need that break, you know? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I know is that when you're laughing, your body produces a lot of endorphins, and this is really good for you. In fact, the American Medical Association had says has says, <laughs> I was a little Brooklynese. Uh, uh, <laughs> they said that laughter and sex produce about the same amount of endorphins. You know, so like if if you could get somebody. To have sex with you while you're laughing, <laughs> or it could be the other way around. you are laughing. Uh, uh, I think in AA they call them double winners. I don't. I don't know. And let me tell you, you get to a certain you have to laugh. I was at a I, I, mean, I was at a convention in Monterey last year, and, and it was in a really nice hotel down by the beach, and the, and the closets were all glass, and the bathroom sat right in front of the closets. And I went in there and I was reading my thought for the day, and I happened to look up. And I have a vision of who I am. <laughs> but this was not a vision for me. <laughs> and it sure hell wasn't a vision for anybody else, you know? Like, <laughs> I thought, when did this train wreck happen, you know? Like, when did, you know like, and, and because you just see yourself sometimes like you don't see yourself other times, you know what I mean? And, and I think, wow, this
1: is amazing stuff. Uh, and I was sitting there and
0: as I was looking. And then I went, of course, and I shared it at the convention. And it must have happened to about 35, 40 other people, all in my age group, you know. Because like, they were coming up after going, yeah, that's the way I see myself too, you know. <laughs> and, and, so, and so the bottom line is is that, you know, you, you that vision for you to have to be a little more definitive when you're describing it to the newcomer, you know. I, I grew up in Brooklyn in a neighborhood that was typical mafia, you know. They used to say, how far is it to the subway? We said, we don't know. No one's ever made it, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, you know? They used to say, hey, he, he fell asleep in the trunk of a car. He deserved to be shot, you know what I mean? <laughs> And I, and I went to a parochial school, and I ought to tell you everything right there, you know. What I knew about sex was absolutely nothing, you know. I was being taught by nuns, and they knew nothing. <laughs> and we in turn got the residual effect of that, you know. I can remember one time seeing two dogs getting it on, and I said to the nun, what are they doing? And she said, they're dancing. Said they're not even facing one another, you know, like, (laughs) and and to this day, that has scarred me. I mean, uh, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I could be sitting having a spiritual talk with someone when I see them forming a congo line. Man, I'm out of the seat. You know, they're like, whoa, you know, just getting up and going. And the deal is, is that it doesn't matter what's going on now in my life, you know, I have enough life experience, hopefully, to laugh at it. Because if you can't laugh, particularly at yourself, you're shortchanging your life. Because everybody else is laughing at you, you know, like, (laughs) you know, you know, like you say, I think they're laughing at me. We are, you know. (laughs) Because you, alcoholics just seem to have this great capacity to get into thinking. And, and it's not by accident that the last four letters of those words are K-I-N-G. Because most people have made it king in their life. You know, they're thinking. What are you doing? I'm thinking. And I always notice there's a correlation between I've been thinking and problems. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed that, but, you know, every problem that someone has seems to start with those three words, I've been thinking. You never hear anybody say, I just came back from a 12-step call, and boy, am I in trouble. You know, like, it's, it's like, I've been thinking. So if you're here tonight and you're a big thinker, we're glad you're here. <laughs> you know, there may be a moment of clarity where you'll forget you for a minute and hear something, you know, like, and... and and it 's been known to happen at conventions, you know it, and then we send it into the archives, and they record it. you know they like somebody heard something they didn't say, you know, and they write it down <laughs> so uh, we're really glad you're here in mass i, I and that's e n m a s e you know But I'm really glad that you guys are here. I'm really glad that I'm here because this is a great place for an alcoholic to be at an AA meeting, regardless of where it is, regardless of the size of the group, regardless of what's going on. You know, I I came into AA at a time where we had a singleness of purpose, and that is getting sober. And I was attracted to the program right away. And the reason I was attracted to it right away is because I heard people verbalizing what I had been thinking. I heard people verbalize what I had been feeling but never wanted to talk about and never wanted to get in any open conversations about. It. And the end result of that was I walked around kind of as, as my mom used to you're kind of spring-loaded, you know. And, and it was because I my first reaction to everything was, hit it. <laughs> it didn't matter what it was, you know, just hit it somehow. and. Uh, the end result was I hit a lot of things that were stationary targets, you know, like walls and fences and things, and and that's not a great way to grow up. I was court ordered one time to a psychiatrist, and uh, and I remember sitting there, and this is when I got to AA, and, uh, and he said to me, what are you thinking right at the moment? And I made something up, and he said, I don't think that's what you're thinking. Tell me what you're really thinking. And what I was really thinking is, at that exact moment, was, if my knees bent the other way, what would chairs look like? You know? And... And, you know, I, I didn't think that was the right place to share that, you know. So, finally, I, I got kind of out of that deal. But as, as Peggy mentioned last night, most of my scenarios were reprieves. I was going to get into something else, but I would get these momentary reprieves. And, you know, I'll tell you the truth. I'm sober now, th- a little over 33 years. In fact, this July be 34 years. But thank you. Thank you. And and my mind still works like that today. You know, I was in the in in grocery store about two months ago. And I'm standing there and they're moving very slowly in the line I'm in. I pick those lines deliberately. Uh, I tell them, no, I'm not in a rush. I don't have any place to go. My life is totally non-relevant, so I'll stand here, you know? <laughs> Who cares how many groceries you have or coupons or whatever? You know, I'm here behind you, supporting you every inch of the way. (laughs) uh, But as I was taking in, as I was taking in all the stuff they sell to you right there at the register, I made an unbelievable discovery. And and I'll share it with you guys, because someone has to share this stuff with you. And that is, there are no B batteries. (laughs) Did you guys, you guys already knew that? Okay. There are A batteries, there are AA batteries, there are C batteries, there are D batteries. You would think a, a word that began with the letter B, there'd be some B batteries. There are no B batteries. I tried to bring it to the attention of the person who was checking me out. And somehow she didn't see the relevance of it, you know. She... She kind of just looked at me like, keep moving, you know. I'll give you the double coupon credit without the double coupon, you know. And, but those are the kind of things I still inhale today. And, I, you know, it's just the way there's like a thing up here that goes click, click, you know. And, and the deal is, is that in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been very, very fortunate in the fact that when I got sober, at the very beginning, I got a really good sponsor. And you'll hear people who stay around for a while usually say that, whether it's an Al-Anon scenario or an AA scenario, that in the beginning they were very fortunate to get a good sponsor. And he was a guy who was just like me. He got through school totally unscarred by education, you know. <laughs> he was he was like 40 years old like me before he realized that Moby Dick was not a venereal disease, you know. Like, <laughs> so he was like, a, so it was a scenario where, so. So it was, he was, he was just the right for me, you know. So we started hanging out together. And I remember going on, uh, going on a, a 12-step call. It was the very first 12-step call I was ever on. And he said to me, as we pulled up to the guy's house, he said, it was in the city. It was a typical brownstone. You hear Bill talk about it in his stories about the brownstones. And, and he said, go get the guy. He said, can you do this? And I said, sure, I can do it. You you know, you want me to do it? I'll do it. So I got out of the car and went up to get the guy. He rode around the block to come back and get me because there were no parking spaces. And as he tells the story, when he pulled up and looked, I had the guy on the ground, and I'm beating him with a garbage can lid. Between the time the guy had made the call and we got there... He thought he had an option about not coming to the meeting. You know, and so I knew it's a program of attraction, and I thought well, before you attract them, you got to get their attention sometimes. So now I wasn't abusive; it was only like two or three hits, and so and so he whistled me back in the car like I was a canine or something. And I went and got in the car and we drove off and he didn't say anything for a while. And then finally he looked up and he looked up over very carefully and he said, uh, do me a favor. I said, what's that? He said, a couple of things. First of all, don't tell anybody I'm your sponsor yet. <laughs> and he said, secondly, is uh, he said, don't consider that a 12-step call. <laughs> you know? and And so I have done just about a little bit of everything in getting people to come to AA. (laughs) There was a fellow who came up right before the meeting. I mean, what a great world this is. Uh, There's a fellow who came up before the meeting, and we started a little company a couple of years ago. I'm not one of the owners or anything. I'm just an employee, but they started the company, and it's just grown tremendously And one of the fellows here worked there, but he doesn't work there anymore. And and he was announcing to me that uh, he's now four months sober here in Minneapolis. So, you know. So the nice uh, nice part about being sober is you get to meet people that you kind of lose track of along the way, you know. There's a lot of uh, fallout in AA. When I say fallout, is there are people who start and then don't finish for whatever reason. Then there are people who are a little slow starting for whatever reason, and the nice part about it is wherever you are in the process is exactly where you're supposed to be. You know, it's not about doing anything faster than you can do it. And when you get here, you get to have great, uh, I guess you'd call it insight. You know, as I said, I got through school totally unscarred by education, but since I've been here, I've gotten some great insights, like, I now realize that I cannot do anything about those things I can't do anything about. (laughs) And I don't know when that came to you, but it came to me like a bulletin, you know, bing, bing. I I was like, maybe you're constantly saying you can't do anything about this, maybe that's because you can't do anything about it. (laughs) And as Peggy said last night, you know, like going to meetings, getting drunk not going to meetings, getting drunk, going to meetings, staying drunk. Sometimes that correlation, because of those synapses I get, are just, just hard to make. I used to get involved in things that I had absolutely no business getting involved in. And I would take on the fact that someone had to do it, and God had somehow chosen me. <laughs> and that's why I often spent hours of the morning in the emergency room, and they'd be putting stitches in my face or resetting my nose or something, and the nurse would be saying things like, "What happened?" I said, "Well, it was important. It was important for me to keep that chair." I went to the bathroom, and he took that chair. And I came back. I just politely told him, "That's my chair," you know. And and so. That was the deal. I always had a way of not sneaking up on trouble, but, you know, hitting it, you know, just running right into it. And, and my mom, from the time I was old enough to understand anything, she'd say, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. And I just didn't think my business was exclusive of your business. And, you know, so I always was getting involved in stuff that I had no business getting involved in. And when I met this sponsor, the first thing we started to do was we, we did the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we did them exactly like they're in this owner's manual. Now, if you don't <laughs> if you don't have an owner's manual, you should get one. You know, this is what I call the open secret of AA. <laughs> this is the open secret. What's the solution? Well, I think you may find something in here relating to there's a solution, you know? <laughs> but but how does it work? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that, you know? Like, you, know? <laughs> you know? I'm having trouble with God. Hold on just a minute. You know? <laughs> and it's amazing how people want to do AA without doing anything that resembles AA, you know? It's like wanting to be a lifeguard at the beach, but you're allergic to the sun, the sand, and the water, you know? I, I don't want to get sand on me, I don't want to get wet, and I don't really like the sun. But I'd like to be here for the whole summer, you know? <laughs> and and what, I have, what I have found out is that in sobriety, the guys who wrote this book were really sharp because they had a spiritual base for everything they were doing, and they took that spiritual base and they molded it into practical street sense so that even people like me who were totally unscarred by education could get the message. You know, And they brought things to our attention that we're just slow to recognize. And one of them is about turning our will and our lives over to the care of God. Now, you would think someone who at whatever age level they're looking at this thing and giving it the self-test would would say to themselves, so far, my plans have totally failed. (laughs) And that is across the board, you know? (laughs) Wherever there's been a beacon of success, I have managed to smash that bulb, you you know? So what they want me to do is give up that power that I don't have to some entity that maybe could do better perchance do they think I'm retarded (laughs) what are they suggesting and what they're suggesting is so practical that you just don't get it at first and that is what you are doing is not working it has never worked it will never work Uh, and you want to hold on to it like it's a plan. (laughs) It's like giving you a puzzle with 500 pieces and keeping 100 pieces in my pocket. Go ahead, make the picture. (laughs) And the deal is is that it's not until you realize that you never had the power in the first place. So when you put this in layman's language, you're balking about giving something up you don't have (laughs) to an entity that maybe could help you. And you think it's surrender of a different kind, you know, like, "I, I don't understand this. And then they have things in the book to give you little reminders, like you hear people say, well, if I keep turning my life and my will over to the care of God, I'm going to end up like the hole in the donut. Have you ever heard that one? Okay. Watch my lips, because this is really important. You are the hole in the donut. (laughs) Hello? And thank God you are, because donuts come and go but the whole is always there, you know? The whole is what gives us permanence, something deep inside of us. It says deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. We're looking outside for what we already have inside. You know, what you're looking for, you're looking with. You know, I'll go slower cuz I know there's a lot like me. <laughs> Slow down those hands, honey. We got to we got to get everybody involved here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm from an Italian neighborhood. So, you got to watch the signer right now. And I'm going to say in rapid succession so you can see her action Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. morning." (laughs) 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 The the deal is here is, you know, people are afraid. You know, we talk in the book about we're driven by a hundred forms of fear. The first time I read that, I thought, wow, these guys really like to exaggerate. And and now that I've been here for a while, I realize that probably we should change that to 10,000 forms or 20,000 forms. And the reason that we're driven by this fear is because we think we have a power that we don't have. And the fear that we have is a phantom fear. You cannot do anything about phantom fear, and I'm going to tell you why, and this is really important too, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> you, you cannot solve a problem that you don't have. You just... <laughs> and that's why you're exhausted at the end of the day. <laughs> You're working to get rid of that which you don't have. And don't worry, there's always tomorrow. (laughs) And so the reality here is that it's like the opposite of everything. We have things that say, you know, uh, it says we have in the big book, it says things like lack of power, that's our dilemma. Well, after you hear a while, you get real bright and you realize you just got to reverse that. Lack of dilemma, that's our power. You know, at some point, you stop scratching shit that don't itch, you know. It, you, you know, in AA, you learn you don't have to swing at every pitch, you can let some go by, you know, like it's. A, and, and, and the days so, are instead of creating problems that are phantom and working tirelessly to solve them every day, <laughs> and buying self-help books and so forth to uh, get used to the problem <laughs> that you really don't have, you can see why some people go to bed and go, <laughs> dear Lord, give me a better day tomorrow, you know? like, uh, and, and the reality here is that in AA, we have breakdowns and breakthroughs. And when you have a breakdown in AA... What really happens is the pain of your life is greater than the resource you're aware of inside of you. I'll say that again. The pain that you have seems to be greater than the resource you have inside of you. You know, it talks in the spiritual section of the book about the fact that when you, when you get sober and you're living the right life, you'll realize you have tapped an inner resource. And that's something that gives you the strength you need on a daily basis to do what we call this thing called life. And pain comes when you focus more on what's happening than on that inner resource that can sustain you. And a breakthrough, which is just the opposite of a breakdown, is when you begin to tap into that resource and you begin to say, I have no idea what's going on in my life at this time. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't necessarily like the circumstances maybe I find myself in. I feel like life is overwhelming me. It's at that moment that you need to come to a very simple solution, and that is trust God. In trusting God, what, what happens is, what happens is, is that pain will resolve itself? You know, I, I lost a son to AIDS several years ago, and I was with him throughout the process of that disease when he came home to me, and it opened up a lot of doors for me. I, you know, his mom was, when his mom and I divorced, he, the, the boy stayed with me, and I got to be a single parent during the high school years, and. Now I had my ex-wife back in my home, and I got to meet my husband-in-law. And, <laughs> and, and, and the bottom line was is that I got to go through that with him. And at the very end, he ended up in the hospice that I had volunteered in for ten years. And never knowing that 10 years prior to him arriving there, I was in training. And when he arrived there, he he had a moment of clarity right before the two days before he died. We stopped him on all the medication, and he just had this moment of clarity. And I got to see my son roll his head from one side of that pillow being in this world, and when he came back, he was of this world. And what he said was, I'm good to go dad. I'm good to go. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being supportive. I'm good to go. And until that day when my own eyes close, that will resonate in my hearing and in my being. You got to get good to go. And in order to get good to go, you got to get good to stay here. You know, this isn't about, this isn't about Life is not about resisting it, running away from it, or denying it. It's about living it. And in living it, you get the answers that you need. And I was so focused on my one son, I kind of lost track of my other son during this process. And I, the last three or four nights of his life, uh, my older son said, I'm going to stay at the hospice. And they would make up a bed, and I would leave, and his mom would leave, and he would be there. And the nurse told me, she said, you guys aren't out of here before he's into bed with his brother with his arm around him and he holds him the whole night through. And what he wanted most was for his brother, who had a little girl who was at that time not quite four, he, it was the only niece he'd ever see. And he said, please don't let her forget me. And next week, next Friday, the 4th of June, I'm going to be going up to, to Seattle, and I'm going to get to see that little girl graduate. And, and, and I'll get time to spend with my son, who is now 44 years old. and. And I will get to have a conversation with him that will eventually revolve around. His daughter is constantly asking me to tell her stories about Uncle Keith and all the funny things that he did. And she has a picture of him on, his, on her dresser. So the bottom line in this recovery thing is that no matter what's going on, whether I understand it or not, God is in charge. He always will be and he always has been. The only thing that keeps me in turmoil is the chaos I create inside, thinking somehow I am responsible to do things that are really God's job. And outside in the cosmos, when Peggy mentioned this last night, everything is as it should be. You know, when people say the world is going to hell in a handbasket, well maybe your world is. But the world is doing just fine, you know? You know. The earth is circulating on its axis. All the stars are where they were supposed to be. And I can tell you this. If God took his eye off us for one minute, we would cease to exist. So we are in God's sight all the time. And everything is okay. Does that mean that I like it? No. Does it mean that I understand it? No. Does it mean that it's the way I want it? No. Does it mean I would like to see changes? Yes. But the bottom line is... I'm kind of like a flea on a log going down a river. And every now and again the log goes around the bend in the river and I think I'm steering. You know? You know? You know? And, and that's not the way it is. Everything is happening just the way it is, you know. We have great terminology in the book, like the spiritual axiom. There's also a life axiom, and the life axiom is when you don't know what to do, you'll do what you know. And that's why we say people keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting what? Different results. And there's no different results. You know, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, this is what you're going to get. You got it last time. You got it the time before you got it the last decade, you got it into the last millennium, and you're still saying, whoa, I think this time it be a little different, you know? Uh, we have the kind of mind we can take a marble from a bag and drop it, and it goes down, and we say, marble went down. And then we can do it 98 more times and write, marble went down. And then on the hundredth marble, bet the ranch, hey, it's going to go up, you know. (laughs) The odds have been building. It's got to go up, you know. And the deal is, is that's not the way it works. You know, when Newton discovered gravity, he didn't invent it. He just discovered it. You know, it, it was already there. You know, Newton had nothing to do with gravity. He just noticed, hey, this apple keeps going down, you know. And so he started to recognize the, the law of gravity. And we know in Alcoholics Anonymous, and again, it talks about it in The Open Secret, it says, it, it says we have met people who are spiritually of the mind and body that they rise above their problems. That means they go up. And that's perfectly acceptable in the law of physics because we know there's a law of opposites. If things go down, then other things must go up. And what goes up is the fact that inside of us, there's something that's so constant. There's something that always has been, it always will be, and it will always be the same. It's totally unmanifested and never gets touched by what's going on out here. And that is really the godness in each and every one of us. And what happens sometimes is you get so into this world, it looks like it's really important. You know what I mean? I had that happen to me a few years ago, and I did a very easy solution for me. I gave away everything I owned, and I went over and lived on a reservation with the Indians in New Mexico. Now I don't suggest that if you're a newcomer, because I don't know if you could take the heat. There were people, there were people, who, including my family, were calling me and saying, "You know, we don't want to, we don't want to seem like we're undermining you, but we think you've lost your mind." And, and I thanked them for the compliment, you know. And I told them, not yet, but I'm really working on it. You know, like, uh, and, and the bottom line was, it's not until you realize that we don't know how to value things that you really get a good value system. You know, I go to meetings all the time, and I hear new people share, and I think it's they're ex- exciting to hear them share this, but they'll always say things like, I came to AA because I lost everything. You notice when they get here, it's never like I lost occasional things, something. It's unanimous. They've lost everything. Keep track of this. This is important. And then the next line is just as important. And I have been left with nothing. I said the same thing. Maybe you did. But I can tell you, after being here the time I've been here, that the everything I lost has turned out to be nothing. And the nothing I was left with has turned out to be everything. You know? And... And in that process of being able to value things, life gets a lot simpler. And you learn to laugh at a lot of things that you didn't think were so laughable before. Uh, I, there was a young man, I Peg and Dick probably heard of him because he was going to the Pacific Group on a regular basis, this boy Mike, and he had Lou Gehrig's disease. And the group up there, the Pacific Group, was real supportive of him and we were down in San Diego. And he called me one night and said how upset he was because his wife had left him. And he was very resentful because he thought she would be his sustaining force at the end, and she just couldn't take it. She was 28 years old, he was 31 years old, and she just didn't want to be part of that. And, And he asked me what he should be doing because he was so angry. And we got together and spent some time, and what came out of that was a tremendous insight for him, which he was nice enough to share with me. After about three weeks of praying, uh, I don't know about this email stuff, but in my group we do a lot of knee mail. You know, you know, get down on your knees and do a lot of praying. You know, and and we know that when you do knee mail, it's a hell of a lot quicker than email. You know, so the bottom line is is that he had this revelation and he called me one night about 11:30 and he said. Uh, You know, Ken, I've been praying and doing all the things that we've been talking about, and here's the outcome of that. He said, I'm not resentful or angry at her. He said, it actually has nothing to do with her. He said, I'm jealous because she can leave and I can't. You know, I'm stuck here. I have to do this, and no matter what it is, I have to do it. I don't have a choice in this. And what we talked about was AA principles and action, and that is, you know, the best way to do this is not to relate your whole life to the disease, but, but just relate it to the pain and suffering that comes from the disease. Otherwise, you become so associated with the disease, you lose track of that inner unmanifested stuff that we talked about that really is what's going to sustain you. Whatever happens on the outside is going to be nothing compared to what's going to grow on the inside. And, and he got to that point where he could see that. And the nice part about being uh, in AA is the one thing we learn here is we only have to do the now of anything. There's nothing that's forever. It's only Saturday. It's the 29th of May, and that's all you have to do. And you only have to do it up until midnight. So, you know, you only have to cut one day at a time. It's not like you have to live your whole life on the 29th. You only have to live the 29th. This is heavy stuff, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but what about, I know there's a lot of what abouts. And what if, and I know the what ifs. And did you ever think of, I thought of it, you know. But the bottom line is, is you only have to do the 29th. And then if you're here, when it clicks, it's over. And then you can get busy on the 30th, you know. But don't be trying to do the 30th on the 29th. It's a very, very tiring process. You cannot do it. I try to get the newcomers to understand you can only act where you can breathe. If you can't breathe there, you can't do anything about it. You know, just that's the way it is. And and we we have a scenario here where you have to learn, as I said, it's real critical, you have to learn to laugh at yourself. And if you're not laughing at yourself, you're missing out on the best joke going. You know? You know? And the other thing I learned about laughter, which I'll share with you and then we'll wind down, is the fact that in laughter, the reason something is funny and the only reason something is funny is because your mind gets tricked. Somebody is telling you a series of events in the, in, incorporated within it, what we call a joke, and our minds are so quick, they're jumping to the conclusion and what happens is the conclusion is what totally illogical and the mind gets screwed and you start to laugh because <laughs> you know? your mind got completely mooked you know and the bottom line is now if if that happens to you two or three times then see your sponsor but but the the, the first time is okay you know like but that's what what makes something funny. It tricks our minds. And you say, if some series of events given to me in the form of a joke can trick my mind, imagine what this stuff that looks real in my life is doing to me. You know, I'm living somewhere between delusion and illusion. You know, alcoholics, and it talks about it in The Open Secret. There's a part in here by Dr. Silkworth where he says, you know, We're in full flight from reality. We're delusional, you know? We are creators of confusion, even at our best. That's me. If you want my help, I'll give you my phone number, you know? and, And the deal is, whatever I have, I'm willing to share with you. Even if I don't know what I have, you know? And the nice part about it is is that as you go along, you realize that it doesn't get to be all that important. You know, you guys are sitting here tonight, and each one of you, I'm sure, has something or a series of things in your life that looks like it could become overwhelming. And all I can tell you is that somehow, if you could fast forward, which you don't want to do because you don't want to miss a second of it, to ten years from now... You'll be laughing at the stuff you're worrying about today. Because sooner or later, you'll get to that point, like I got in Monterey, looking in the mirror while I was sitting on the can, saying, <laughs> So this is how it turned out. You know, like. <laughs> so this is. <laughs> And and we have to take really good care of one another because we're only on loan. And and that's really important. You know, I had a friend who used to come in and out of my home, and he was from India. And, And Harish used to come in, and he used to put his hands together whenever he came in, and he would say, Namaste, Ken. And whenever he left, he would say, Namaste. And Namaste translated means the God in me sees the God in you. I have it hanging over my kitchen sink that sign that says Namaste. And I never want to forget that the God in me is always seeking the God in you. And if the God in you is always seeking the God in me, then we never have any problems. We can have differences, but we certainly aren't going to have any problems. And that's the principle of Alcoholics Anonymous as far as I'm concerned. And that is people with differences who never have problems. You know, we come to a a resolution on that. And we hear things today that, you know, we just say something in me is resonating because of what I heard. I don't know how it applies to me yet, so I just want to tuck it away. And down the road, whatever I'm supposed to learn from that will come to me. We just remember that you can have consciousness without thought. But you can't have thought without consciousness. So, thought is just part of the evolutionary process to consciousness. And in the open secret, they talk a lot about consciousness because it says things like you will become God conscious. As you become conscious of his presence, you'll lose all your fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. You'll be reborn. Burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get sober. All he has to do is trust God and clean house. We don't want this message to get muffled. It's real, real simple. Guys like me, totally unscarred by education, can get this stuff. (laughs) We don't want to make it too convoluted. And so it's real important as you go forth from this place to do whatever you're going to do today, the 29th, that you carry the message, the basic message of Alcoholics Anonymous, which to me is love and service. And you realize that when they talk about we have love and tolerance, the reason they threw in tolerance is they knew we're very judgmental people. You wouldn't need tolerance unless you were judging stuff. (laughs) That's just the way it is. When you love, you don't have a need for tolerance, you know, and... And it's about living life in the moment. I remember being in New York when Malcolm X was talking back in the 50s and 60s. And, and I remember Brother Malcolm saying something like this. He said, it's not about what people call you. It's about what you answer to. And hopefully what you'll answer to is, I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I read the open secret. I practice the steps. I incorporate the traditions in my life. I'm not an expert on this. I'm a carrier. I'm a carrier. And we take real good care of one another, and we never, never, never lose track of one simple thing, and that is there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Thank you very much.